Well, good morning, everybody. So that will be our next our study for the next four weeks. And 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 as Derwin, Pastor Derwin, Derwin Gray said, uh, we will be speaking about holy habits. And broken record here again, if you're not coming to Wednesday nights, this is a perfect time to start. It's just a four week study. It's it's pretty practical and simple. And uh, he's going to talk about things and we're going to talk about things that we all need to be doing. So I know it gets dark at 530. It's January. I know you're not being productive on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock, so you might as well come to church. And that shouldn't be our attitude. We might as well come to church, but get your butt to this church at seven o'clock on Wednesday night. Amen. So holy habits are a thing that we that that we should all, if we're believers, we should all have. And as I was thinking about these holy habits, I was thinking about John Scott and and I've only known John for six months, but he he had holy habits. He was consistent in uh, in being here. He was consistent in serving the church. Um, he 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 served he served this church for a long time. He was a prayerful man. He was in God's word. And uh, remember, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And those that those nine fruit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And I've only known John for six months or so. But I've seen all of those things in his life. And I think if we've known John, we, we could all think, well, he had love, he had joy, he had peace, he had patience, he had kindness, he had goodness, he had faithfulness, he had gentleness, and he had self-control. And that's an amazing testimony to God's moving in his life. And uh, yeah, I, I just uh, it's a great celebration that, he, that he, gets, he is with Jesus face-to-face at this moment. And I'm a little bit envious of that, and I shouldn't envy that, but just this world sometimes is, is just not fun, and he's, 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 he's home now. And that sounds like a cliche Christian thing to say, but he is. Let's not, let's not make that a cliche. That's the truth. He is, he is where he is going to be forever and ever, and that's, that's an amazing thing. So we will miss John, but he is not gone. He is home, and that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for, for John's life and, and we're grateful for the Scott family. And I just pray that you uh, comfort them during this time. And uh, we know that John is with you. And that's just a, that's an amazing and glorifying thing to think about. And uh, just allow us to, to remember. Uh, my favorite thing about John was that that he was so welcoming. He maybe was the most welcoming person in this whole church. I'm sorry, Dale, but he was very welcoming and he was very kind and he would really hunt people down to go talk to him. And once he started talking, you better watch out. He's going to keep talking for a little while, but uh, it was a great thing. And I just, I pray that somebody steps up or, or more people steps up and, uh, and, and has that same hospitality that John had. And I think that's what, that's one of the many things that makes this, this, particular church, a very special place, is that it's very, very, very welcoming. And a lot of that had to do with with John. So I just pray that this morning that we remember John and that we're not sad, but we're glad that he gets to be with you. And, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are finally going back to the Sermon on the Mount. If we started it, I don't know when we started it, but we've got four more weeks and we're going to finish it. I promise we're going to finish it. And next week, we're going to discuss effective prayer. The following week, we will discuss how Jesus saves us from religion. And the final week of our time in Sermon on the Mount, we will discuss a rock-solid foundation. 
This week, we will be discussing a hot topic that I'm certain affects probably everybody in the room, and that is judgment of others. If you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking, well, I don't think I judge others. Have you ever asked questions like, why does he do that? Or how can she act that way? Or how can she participate in that act? Or why is she with him? Or why is he with her? Or or why are they doing this or that? These are all judgmental thought processes, so we're all a bit guilty about judgment, most likely. And uh, I hate to say it, but judgment of others can be a great speed bump in my own life. Sometimes I'm traveling full speed down the theoretical road and I hit a bump and I'm like, what was that? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm judging others at the moment. I should slow down. I'm, I'm moving too fast. I'm not thinking about what, I'm not processing my thoughts well. And the Holy Spirit stops me in my tracks and says, Tink, why are you judging those folks? You're not perfect. Uh, you have your own series of problems. So we're all sinful. And uh, it's at this point I'm reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, which is where we are today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading out of the NLT today. I don't know if these are NLT or not, but that's where I'm at. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. So everyone in this room has sin in their life. I hope we all understand that. How do I know this? We're all sinful people. And Scripture tells us, for fill in the blank, for blank has sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does Jesus mean when He says, do not judge others? and you will not be judged. Jesus is saying here that we are being judged on the base that we judge other folks. We are not to judge each other harshly, but we are to love one another. So let me give you a hypothetical situation to chew on. I have this friend named Dwayne. I really don't. I'm making this up right now. I have a friend named Dwayne. Dwayne claims to be a follower of Christ. Me and Dwayne went hiking one day. And we're, we're walking and we come along the edge of this cliff. It's a hundred foot cliff and there's, there's sharp, jagged rocks at the bottom of the, of the cliff. And Dwayne says, well, I think I'll jump off that cliff. And that morning before we went hiking, I sat down and I was drinking my coffee and I read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, uh, do not judge others and you will not be judged. So just based on that verse, I thought, well, I'm not, I don't need to judge Dwayne. Who am I to judge? Dwayne's a big boy. I shouldn't tell Dwayne what to do. I don't want God to judge me based on being bossy to my friend Dwayne and uh, by telling him not to jump off this cliff. So I said, all right, Dwayne, see you next time. And I took off hiking. Dwayne jumps off a cliff. Now, where did I go wrong? I didn't judge Dwayne for the stupidity that he had in his life. But I sure succeeded. Uh, I didn't love him because I didn't stop him from jumping off the cliff. So you see where... You see where the two things are connected? I can, I can haphazardly decide, well, I'm not going to judge anybody. But we're, we're called to love one another, especially a believer-to-believer -believer relationship. We're called to love each other and we're called to, to hold tight 
uh, to accountability. So what could I have done differently? I could have said, Dwayne, jumping off that cliff, buddy, that's not a good idea. And I chose Dwayne as my friend because I don't know anybody named Dwayne. So that's why we're talking about Dwayne. I didn't want, if I say John, everybody's going to be like, oh, is he talking about me? So I know lots of Johns. So I see where you could think, I could say, Dwayne, I see where you could think jumping off that cliff would be enjoyable, but it's only going to be enjoyable for a few moments. Then you're going to splat on those large jagged rocks down there. Okay. I'm not judging you, Dwayne. I like to have a good time too, but sometimes we don't really know what's best for ourselves, Dwayne. Maybe we should go and find something less risky to enjoy. I love you too much to see you hurt yourself. So that didn't seem too judgmental. That was more of a loving approach to Dwayne's problems. Um, Dwayne is my friend. He's not really. Dwayne is my brother in Christ. I don't know Dwayne. I don't want to see Dwayne get hurt. I love Dwayne. Okay. And that goes for all of us, uh, our, our Christian uh, relationships. We, we are to love each other. So the key to that message about judgment is that we are to love each other and not judge each other too harshly or too critically. So how many of us have friends or family that stand on the edge of a cliff from time to time? We all have friends. We've all seen people standing on the edge of a cliff. And the edge of the cliff can manifest itself in a couple different ways. It, the edge of a cliff could be drug use. The edge of a cliff could be risky behavior or toxic relationships or chasing after money or workaholism or alcoholism or many other things. There's, there's many, many, many pitfalls in this life. And I'm sure if we've been alive for more than 20 years or so, you start seeing these things at probably 15 and they never stop. So there are many pitfalls in this life. And Jesus is saying here, we're not to be harshly judgmental about these things. We're to love our neighbor through these things. Okay. Verse two of Matthew chapter seven says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So how are you judging others? Are you lovingly coming alongside people through their sin? Are you seeking to help people out of the messes that they're in? Or are you standing in the dark and pointing your finger and laughing or ridiculing people for the things that they're doing? There's a, there's a huge difference. And it's easy to sit here today at church and think, it, it's easy to think, uh, to know which way we're supposed to be. It's easy to sit in the seat when you're not in, we're not in any situation right now. We're just sitting and listening. It's easy to think, well, I know what I need to do in that situation. I need to love my neighbor through that. Uh, but what about Wednesday at work or Thursday at work when people are buzzing and it's crazy and people are, you see people standing at the edge of the cliff. How, how are you acting and reacting at that point? Are you, are, 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 you, are you loving the person through their issue? Are you being patient and, and you're being willing to help somebody with their issue? Or are you just hiding in the shadows and kind of mentally, even if you're mentally ridiculing this person, it's, it's not good. Jesus goes on to say this, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. TJ tripped over my prop. Okay. I was going to get a two by four, but I, I get tired of carrying that. And I, Derek wasn't here, so I stole a drumstick. Okay, so 
The scripture says we are sinful. We have a log in our own eye. And, and we look around and we see, what about, what, 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 what did he do? What did they do? What did they do? What is she doing? What are they doing? That's, that's how we are. And then we go, oh, I'm not perfect either. Wow, that's great. So, that, you know, it feels a lot better not having a speck or a log or a drumstick in my eyeball. I suddenly realize I'm not perfect either, okay? I, I do plenty of ridiculous things that don't fully glorify God. So thank you, God, for showing me that I'm not perfect. Thank you for showing... If I, if I was perfect, I would have no need for God. If I didn't recognize the sin in my own life, well, I can just walk around this earth just doing... You know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing fine. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm a, I'm a good person. We talked about good people this morning in Sunday school. Well, here's a newsflash for you. There are no good people. You, you can give and give and give, and you can do and do and do and save... Uh, you know, you can buy electric cars and save the... Save the environment and all that. And there's still no good from you apart from Christ. So, instead of judging the speck in other people's eye, which is the sin in their life, we should choose to come alongside them as, as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and love them well instead of judge them hard. That's the difference. We need to, we need to call out the sin in the life of our brothers and sisters, but it needs to be out of, uh, out of love, not hate. I'm gonna make sure I didn't get make sure I didn't get sidetracked pulling that drumstick out of my eye there. We need to come alongside each other and love each other well rather than judge each other. We don't want to see our brothers and sisters fall off a cliff and ruin their lives. If the people we are dealing with are saved people, this is this is important. If the people that we are dealing with are saved people, really listen to this. They should have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They should have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they should be able to see the truth for what it is. So uh, the Holy Spirit does what in our lives as, as it relates to sin? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. So we, we, we start doing sinful things, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, I've got more for you than that. Let's not do this. So a saved person should, uh, should be able to understand the sin in their own life, their own life. For the last few weeks on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? Who remembers? The, the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear of the Lord re re means respect for the Lord. If we respect the Lord, we should have a desire to do what He says. And this is the beginning of wisdom. So Proverbs tell tells us that a wise person... <clears throat> should desire discipline, which means that a wise person should desire to be corrected when they are in the wrong. This means that a saved person does fear and respect the Lord, which means that a saved person has some level of wisdom inside of them. Okay, are we tracking? Is everybody tracking this? Which means that a saved person, now this is the hard part, saved people, the saved person should be able to take correction from a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Should be able to take correction from a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Now, Proverbs also says that a person who, who is without God is a what? Anybody that sat through the Proverbs study should be able to answer this. We have the wise, the simple, and the fool. Yep. 
So a person who is without God is a fool. And a fool will not take correction well because a fool does not fear or respect the Lord. A fool does not desire godly correction or discipline because in their mind they are their own God. A fool also doesn't see the sin in his own life or the plank in his own eye. He only sees the sawdust in everybody else. Actually, he probably sees the plank. Everybody has planks. So this is what Jesus is telling us in the book of Matthew. If we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we should humble ourselves before God. We should have the understanding that we are sinful, and instead of judging everyone else's sin in a critical way, we should love them through it and, uh, and aid them in discipline and correction. But what about lost people? How do we come alongside lost people? How do we come alongside lost people? How does Tink find his place? How does Tink find his place? Yeah, play that song. Who was doing that? Okay, so what about lost people? I'm getting more comfortable because I don't care when I awkwardly pause. That's nice. I like that. Doesn't bother me at all at this point. How do we come alongside lost people? when they're sinful, when they don't even recognize sin in their own life. They don't, they don't know what sin is. They have no godly wisdom. What are we to do? Jesus says this, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn to attack you. So, we are to try to encourage lost people to turn from their sin, okay? But it is highly possible that a lost person will be drawn to anger if you call him, uh, him or her out for, for the sin that they're participating in. Now remember, the definition of sin is uh, an, any offense against God. Most, much of the things that we do is sinful. If it's not bringing glory to God, it's most likely it's sinful. But a, but a lost person doesn't recognize sin as sin because they don't have, they don't have any knowledge of God. So how can, you, how can you sin against God if you don't follow God? That's, that's something to think about. So Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9 says this, Anyone who rebukes a mocker will, will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So a lost person is blind. I've already said it. They're, they don't see themselves as sinful. Sin is anything in our lives that doesn't bring glory to God. So by that definition, in the eyes of a lost person, they have no sin because they have no God. So when you call out your lost friend for his sinfully dangerous behavior out of love, he might become angry. And why is this? It's because he has no fear or respect for the Lord. So what, do you, what are you to do in this situation? You are to lovingly persist until it no longer makes sense. Remember, remember in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 10, Jesus tells... Jesus tells the apostles to go out into the towns and, and to share Jesus among the people. And He says, go where you are welcomed, and when you're no longer welcomed, wipe the dust from your shoes and move on. And I believe this wiping of the dust from our shoes and moving on from people's life is a thing that we will have to do from time to time. But I believe that it's probably a very small percentage, like a, especially in the United States. It's probably a 1% thing to move on. I, I, it's a challenge to me to figure out how do I persist? When do I, 
when do I just kind of go, you know, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm not going to try anymore. Most of the time that's pride in me. I'm not trying. He's lost as lost can get. I'm not full with him anymore. I don't think, I think we should err on the opposite side of wiping the dust from our our sandals and moving on. I think we need to persist in people's lives. But there is a, there is biblical warrant to wipe dust from our shoes and move on. So I believe that we should patiently persist in the lives of our lost friends and neighbors, but we must know that if our relationship, um, if we are in relationship with Jesus and they are not, uh, they will see life. We will see life through different lenses. We're, we're looking through, we've got the Holy Spirit in us and they do not. So, so things are different for us. Think about our current verse in Matthew chapter 7 again. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. The other versions say something about dogs. Don't throw, don't throw something to dogs. I can't remember. Don't waste what is holy on dogs or something. There might be times in our lives when people get downright hateful to us about our faith. And Jesus is telling us here that that is not our fault. And He welcomes us to step away from these people. Now Paul comes along and, 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 and tells us something that's maybe going to confuse you for a second, but I'll clear it up. He gives us a very good message about how we are to treat sin in the lives of believers and non-believers. It's really not confusing. I don't know why I said that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-13 through 13 says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So he's talking to the church in Corinth. I guess they're doing some, some bad stuff. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. He goes on to say, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the Scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So Paul's telling us here that we are to judge each other inside the church. If we know that somebody is doing something, if they're standing at the edge of a cliff and they claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, first off, we, sh we don't want to see them go. We don't want to see anything bad happen to anybody, but specifically a brother in Christ, I see him standing at the edge of a cliff. I want to love him and say, what do you, don't do that. Don't, this is not going to do anything good in your life, though you might think it is. And it could, be a, it could be a spiritual attack from Satan that calls somebody to stand at the edge of a cliff. And if that's the case, we definitely need to love them through it. But um, So we are to judge each other within the church. And this, this starts the way that we've been discussing this morning, through love. And when sin... When sin comes to light in the life of another believer, we are to lovingly confront, that's the key word, lovingly confront our brother or sister. If they are saved, remember, if they're saved, they should have what? They should have the Holy Spirit and they should have a repentant heart uh, as it relates to their sin. Sin. And if there is no repentance um, over a period of time, maybe there was never salvation in the life of the person. Remember Jesus' parable about the soil types. He says, some seeds are planted on rocky ground and burn out. Some seeds are planted amongst the thorns and choke out. 
And some seeds are planted in fertile soil and prosper. And, the, and a saved person is planted in fertile soil and has the Holy Spirit and is repentant of their sin and will turn for their, from their sin. And their turning from sin might not happen when you want it to. That's another thing. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We must be patient with people as they're struggling through these sins. So a saved person still sins, but a saved person should always be repentant and should be willing to be disciplined by another, just as, as Proverbs says. These are important things to understand as it relates to not judging one another and loving one another. We should always love first. We should always confront people gently. Remember, gentleness. We should, treat, we should not treat people harshly. We shouldn't treat people harshly. Accountability might be a Christian buzzword at the moment, and, and I don't know if I made that up or not, but it, accountability is a good thing. We need to hold each other accountable. Through love, we say, buddy, I, you know. First, to even be able to hold somebody accountable, for sin to come to light, we have to know about it. Sometimes sin, sometimes sin comes to light because we find that it becomes evidently clear that somebody is sinful, or somebody will come to you and say, look, I am doing this and I need help. And that is, a, that is a dramatically wonderful thing. Confession of sin between brothers and between sisters in Christ is a thing that God calls us to. Confess your sins. Don't keep them in the dark. Don't tell everybody. Don't come up here in front of the church and tell everybody everything you've done. Find somebody to confide in. And they, if they have the Holy Spirit in them, they will assist in walking you through this sin. So we do not want our brothers and sisters in Christ to jump off a cliff. I don't. I hope you all don't either. We don't want each other to chase sin. We don't want lost people to remain without Christ in their lives. But we must remember there is a very delicate balance of grace and truth in our witness to other people that can make or break how they see Jesus um, moving in our lives. So Pastor Steve Ballin in, in Australia one of the one of the greatest things I learned on that trip, he said, there should be an even balance of grace and truth in our life. There's be maybe there's moments of severe truth, but we shouldn't. We sh our posture shouldn't be, I'm a truth. I'm a truther. I'm a thump you over the head, and if you don't like it, then sorry about you. Well, there's no grace in that. Now, if you walk fully in grace, well, then suddenly everybody's, oh, it's okay that you murdered that guy. God will forgive it. Where's the truth in that? You know. So there's got to be an e there's a delicate balance of grace and truth, and it should be pretty even keel. Now, if our friend's standing at the cliff, we might have to get real honest with them for a second about truth. You know, hit them with the truth, follow up with grace. Okay, even balance. There's a delicate balance of grace and truth when we interact with other Christians. Delicate balance of grace and truth when we interact with lost people. Delicate balance of grace and truth. If you hit a lost person with all the truth, they will. I can't say never, but they will. Jesus will not be a friend in their mind. Grace and truth, okay? Jesus wants all people to be in relationship with Him. Jesus wants all people to understand their own sinfulness. We cannot fully grasp the gospel if we don't first grasp our own personal sinfulness. For who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? All. And all means all. Me? All means all. Me, I am sinful. James, I know that man's sinful. 
and everyone else, everyone in this room, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. So, as you leave here today and you interact with people, we need to aim to love people well with a delicate balance. Y'all are going to walk around doing this this week at work. Delicate balance of grace and truth. Delicate balance. I hit that guy with too much truth. I hit that lady with too much grace. Hopefully we're not hitting ladies at all. Okay? Okay. Where am I at? So as you leave here today, delicate balance of grace and truth. If you see somebody getting ready to jump off a cliff, hit them with the truth. You know, there's no harm in that. They're going to, their life, if they fall off the cliff, their life is ruined anyway. Give them the truth. Okay? But then follow up with them gracefully to even, even it back out. This is what Jesus wants of us and from us. And maybe this message has been a bit confusing. I've told you that you shouldn't judge people, and then I told you that you should judge people. I want to clear that up. So, um, you might be thinking, preacher, you're not making any sense. You're saying too many different things, okay? I would disagree. I will summarize the sermon briefly right now so there's no confusion. We are not to judge lost people. Lost people are lost. They are they're blind to their to their sin. They're going to do all the stuff. They or maybe they're maybe they're not participating in any really bad things. They're still lost all the same, okay? They're seeing life through a different lens than us. A lost person is blind and dead in their trespasses. We are to love the lost, but there might be a time where we just have to turn uh, the lost people over to their sin and wipe the dust from our feet and move on. So that's in your life, you have to, you have to figure out where do I persist? Where do I walk away? Um, and that walking away has got to be a terribly hard thing. So have somebody guide you through that. So we are not to judge lost people, but we are to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ in a loving way. They should have the Holy Spirit, if they're saved, they should have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And they should be seeking correction and discipline. They should be seeking the correction and the discipline of Christ in their life. They want to be made holy. We claim we want to be made holy. But if anybody, if anybody, and I hope we're all saying this, holiness is difficult because I said this morning, it seemed like the more we mature in Christ, uh, and Christ becomes more important in our lives, we become less important in our own lives. And it's a constant struggle of the, the, the closer I feel like I'm getting to God, the worse I view myself as a sinful disaster. And, and my, my thoughts sometimes are... are, are uh, what I'm saying is the sanctification process is not... Um, it's not always fun. It seems like the closer you draw to the Lord, the, the more you see that how much you need Him, which is, a, which is sanctification and which is a beautiful process, but it's, it's difficult. So we are to judge each other as believers and we, and we should have the Holy Spirit. So if you're, if you're trying to help somebody and they're getting hostile with you, you might think, oh, man, did you fall on that rocky soil, did you? Where's that fertile ground at, you know? So we are to judge one another, but we are not to judge lost people. Remember the delicate balance of grace and truth, and we should operate out of patience when dealing with the sin, especially patience when we're dealing uh, with the sin of a wavering brother or sister in Christ. We need to seek to love them the way that Jesus would love them. Always keep Jesus in your mind. If Jesus was standing right next to me, how would I confront, how would he confront this person, you know? Think about, think about it that way. Jesus has, I know this to be true in my life, Jesus has been patient with me, so let's be patient with our sinful brothers and sisters. 
Let's also be patient with the lost in hopes that they put their faith in Christ. So I hope I didn't confuse anybody. I said one minute, let's not judge each other. And then I said we do judge each other. We are to judge each other as believers out of love. So the word, it's kind of a word play. We are to love one another. We're to love everyone. We are to hold each other accountable as believers. We are not to walk around mocking sinful lost folks. They're lost. And it, guess what? If you're saved, you were lost. You were in the same realm at one point. You were as lost as they were. So God is the one who opens our eyes, puts the Holy Spirit in us. We should be able to be corrected. We should be able to sharpen one another. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Well, I'd say that sharpening process hurts from time to time. When John comes to me and says, Tink, you've, I see that you're doing this thing. You know, I shouldn't get too offended by that. I should say, John, you're right. Thank you. And that's what it's like. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. So don't judge the lost. Love the lost. Do judge your brother in Christ in a loving way. We are to love our neighbor. Okay? Did I confuse anybody today? I hope not. It's bound to happen at some point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful that uh, when we are saved, you give us the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. And I just pray that as we're being sanctified, um, we persist and that we're patient and that we have the endurance to run the race until the end, just as Mr. John Scott has done. We have seen the fruit in his life and we know for certain that he is in heaven with you. And your word says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we only get to see the Father if we believe in Him. And I believe that. And I think we, most of us in here do believe that. And we know that John is with, with you face-to-face -face at this moment. And that should, be, that should give us peace and comfort and joy just to sit here and think about that for a minute. Just think about Him. Think about all the people He's getting to see and the questions He's able to ask and the and the clarity that he has about his time here on earth now that um, he is in perfection in God's kingdom forever. That's just a, that's, that's a really marvelous thing to think about. And uh, I'm glad that you gave me the opportunity to get to know John over the last couple months and uh, just to walk alongside him and just to learn a little bit from him about, his, about hospitality and about uh, just being kind, just... Just being kind and gentle. You know, we don't live in a world where, where uh, you know, our cultural masculinity says we need to be all rough and tough and all that. But, but your word says we need to be kind and gentle. And uh, John is a is a is a good um, he's a good model of uh, male Christianity. And just through his kind and gentleness, I've learned many lessons in the last six months, and I'm very grateful for that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.